welcome to Flow with the Funk. My name is Michelle, aka Flo, aka the Funky Celebrant. I'm a multi-award winning independent family celebrant based in the east of England, but with a passport and permission from my nearest and dearest to travel anywhere my heart desires or your imagination can take us. This is a podcast aimed at anyone and everyone interested in love, ceremony and celebration. I don't care if you're half of or a whole couple looking for inspiration, friends, family or a supplier. This podcast is for you. My own thoughts and musings come to life as I dissect everything from what is a celebrant and how we can upscale a ceremony to how to assemble your perfect supplier squad for your amazing day. And of course, there's everything in between. And then there'll be interviews with whoever I can rope in for a natter. They may well be random, but I can guarantee they will be fun. I hope there's a little something here for everyone. This is a trigger warning um, for this edition of my podcast. It does contain some distressing descriptions in relation to racial abuse, but it's also opening up an important conversation. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome back to Flow With The Funk. Today I was going to be talking to um, Jamie Walker about being a new celebrant. But events have kind of overtaken us of late um, with what's going on in America. And I decided today was a day for a serious conversation instead. So I've been joined by a few celebrant colleagues who I'm going to introduce to you. Like I say, we've got Jamie Walker from Jamie Walker Celebrant. Um, Jazz Beance from Infinite Celebrations. Sharon Burt from Sharon, your celebrant. Sharon Burt, your celebrant. Maxine Edgar from Maxine Mitchell Celebrant and Natasha Johnson who is from the Celebrant Collective and is also Malaga Minister. We're going to talk about a very serious subject today and that is racism. For so long we've hidden away from facing up to this most serious of topics but world events are kind of overtaken us so I think this is a very good opportunity for us to actually talk about our experiences and looking to the future about how we as black women can help shape the future of the wedding industry and the future of the world at large. So ladies, if you'd like to unmute yourselves and let's have a conversation about this most difficult subject. (laughs) When I say to you, hashtag, Black Lives Matter. What does it mean to you? I'm going to come to Jamie first. Hi, Michelle. Thanks very much for having me today. It's a pleasure to meet everyone. Um, When I hear that, it really triggers something in me that's just incredibly upsetting. What I've been watching on the news and what I've been hearing on the news this week has, has really taken me back to a time in my life where I felt totally ostracized, um, confused, um, very childlike, and sometimes I get really angry, and other times I feel really strong. I've got four children, none of whom who look like me. My eldest is blonde-haired and leggy and green-eyed 
And explaining to her what that means has been um, really interesting, really interesting. Um, she's been in a bubble where it hasn't affected her. The youngest is four and she also, you know, in this wonderful little bubble of protection that you do for your children. But I have to explain it to them because it's just so relevant to me personally. And, you know, putting myself out there as a celebrant has been so incredibly cathartic. I have to put my face out there. I have to say to people, this, this is me, this is what I look like, and, and completely own it. And that's, you know, alongside this kind of, you know, Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on, it's really, it's still scary, powerful. I do agree with what Jamie's just said about owning the, the face, because um, we can hide behind a lot, lot of other things, really, can't we, if we're just um, uh, a profession, if you like, rather than the celebrant that everybody sees. And for me, it's actually brought up some, some issues about how I look, who I am, my colour in particular. Um, I, as I said earlier, I kind of I saw Natasha's post today, it really resonated with me, her Facebook post, because one of the things that she said was that uh, a wedding planner had said to her, uh, I've got the ideal client for you, they're just up your street, and that's what I get, because when I'm told they're just up my street, I can guarantee there will be Asian clients. Um, you know, I'll be told things like, oh, you speak well for an Asian woman, you haven't got even a bit of an accent. Well, I've got a Nottingham accent because I was born here and I'm, you know, nearly 60. So I've lived here all my life. Um, you know, that's, that's who I am. My parents went through lots of hardships to get us here. And I feel a bit resentful that we're still suffering this so many years down the line. Um, you know, that there's, and it's a little bit more subtle now, a lot more subtle, I think. Um, and every time I've posted something on social media raising the issues, it's seen as my issue. And I'm told, oh, I'm really sorry you suffered that. Um, I'm so sorry that you had that experience. It, it, what I find is that white privilege is alive and well. And unfortunately, you know, we're not, I'm not personally affecting it as, as I would like to. And I want some, I want things to change because I'm a mother of two sons who are grown up now. They both wear turbans. So they look immediately very different. Not only are they of colour, they're of a different faith as well. Um, and they've, they've had some issues because of their turban wearing. The fact that one of my sons is a blues singer and you know an Asian Sikh blues singer it's it's quite a hurdle to overcome really that his music is more valued than who he is it's not the most important thing the color the turban but quite often that's the strap line that will be used by um, uh, you know articles they'll say things like oh he's from the Punjab and he wears a turban he's a Sikh and he's a blues singer yeah it's not just gender beyond the blue singer so do you see what i'm saying it's always about race and color coming before anything else that we can offer and that's a real issue for me yeah i can see that sharon what 
does hashtag Black Lives Matter mean to you? Well, like Jazz said, it's a real issue. Um, thank you, Michelle, for having me here today anyway. Um, yeah, it, it's a real issue and it brings, when I hear it, it just brings back everything that I have known growing up. Um, my mom passed away uh, 14 years ago and I talk about her to my children every day. I, I think I started to sound like my mom with everything that I say. She's got all these quotes and everything, God bless her. But a lot of the um, tr trials and problems she had um, coming from the West Indies um, at a very young age, um, being given the worst living uh, accommodation and, and she was put in a one bedroom house in the top of uh, like a four story house. They were put in a one, one room at the top. She had a couple of children at the time and then she was put in with another lady um, who had five children. So, you know, there was, there was eight, eight, nine of them in, the, in one room, um, a little pot under the bed to, to, to use for your toilet. And, you know, she spoke of these things and right through growing up, I saw and heard a lot of things um, and they are just wrong, wrong, you know, and it's always our problem, our issue. What's your problem with that? What's the issue? You know, and it's never addressed. It never had been addressed. I mean, one of my earliest memories um, of, of racism was my mum used to work in the evenings and she'd get the bus home. Um, and one night she arrived, her, well, we, we had a call um, and she was brought home by a police officer. She, um, she had a broken jaw, broken arm. She was covered in bruises. And basically she'd gone on the bus to get home and she'd sat next to a white person who didn't like that. Um, there was a couple of uh, white people sitting behind and for no reason other than her sitting there, they asked her to move. She shouldn't be sitting there. She didn't move and they beat, they beat my mum. And the worst thing was the bus driver that was involved, that was driving the bus, it was a white, a white man. Uh, my mum was shouting for help. He didn't stop the bus, he carried on driving. There was another bus going past at the time and it was a family friend of ours um, and, you know, you know, a friend, a, a black guy and he saw something going on that didn't look right on that bus and it was him that phoned the police and ra radioed for the police on his bus and then obviously they, they came and, and they didn't catch the guys because by the time they arrived they'd gone. But when, when um, the police had asked the white bus driver why he hadn't stopped the bus and you know he said it's not my fault it's not my problem he said it wasn't my problem and i wasn't getting involved and that really struck to me because although he didn't he wasn't the one doing the fighting or anything like that but he was just as bad as the people who were doing the fighting because he didn't stop my mom could have lost her life on that day and that's something that stuck in my head from a very, very, very early age. And there's been lots of other incidents and things that go on. And when you hear about, um, you know, pe people use the term that all, all lives matter. Well, actually, all lives can't matter until black lives matter as well. Yeah. That's so true. Like me, were you brought up in Birmingham? Yes, I was, yeah, yeah. I was so, born born here and brought up here, yeah. Yeah, in Birmingham. So this happened in Birmingham? 
yeah, it was Birmingham at the time. I was about, I must have been about six or so. I, I wasn't very old. I can, I can remember that because I had an older brother who died when I was eight. And at that time he was alive because obviously he was about 16 or so. And I remember him getting really angry about what had happened. So yeah, I was about six years old, I think, yeah. So this is the 70s yes. in Birmingham. Mm, yeah, yeah. One mm. of the most multicultural cities in the country exactly. at that time. And at that time, and that was allowed to happen, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my I've got a twin brother, and when we left school, he um, was a, an apprentice baker. So he had to get up about three thirty every morning to get to work for four because he was working in the supermarket, and obviously they baked bread really, really early. Most days he'd come home and say that I got stopped last night again by the police. They'd stop him and they'd say, "What are you doing out this time of the night? I'm going to work." Where do you work that's open this time of night? I'm going to a superstore. There's no superstores open at this time of night. No, I'm a baker and I start before the stores open. They used to have him out the car, um, all the glove pockets are searched, the boots searched, his, his pockets searched every night. Um, he even used to wear, his, he wasn't supposed to wear his uniform until he got to work, but he actually put it on because he wanted to prove that he was going to work. But to the police, that was just an excuse. You're just putting that on as a cover-up. So most nights, he was stopped and he was strict-searched. And as, as you say, with white privilege, they wouldn't have, that, I don't think that would have happened. Okay, you might get stopped the odd time, but he was stopped, you know, more times than he cared to remember. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Mm. <sighs> Natasha. <laughs> Do you know, it's, it's, it's something that I am struggling with at the minute, this, this hashtag that is summing up something that all of us sitting here know. Um, but like we're all recognising, it's triggering lots of different things in us, lots of emotions that maybe we've had hidden, hidden away for a while. Uh, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed with myself because if I'm brutally honest, I think part of me has forgotten that black lives matter. Not that I've forgotten, but that I have myself just got caught up so much in my own life, in what I'm doing, in, in building my celebrants collective, in building my celebrants business. And, um, you know, when I wrote that post... Uh, yesterday about the experiences I've had as a celebrant with racism this made me get really annoyed that I for so long have dismissed these experiences that I've written them off as uh, isolated events that I've even laughed at them at some of them that they were just so ridiculously racist that I even laughed them off and writing that post yesterday just made me realize that nothing has really changed yes things have got better but especially within the wedding industry the wedding industry is still as white as ever um, and not much has changed even with the likes of the amazing nova reed who set up new bride as a way of showing the wedding industry that white brides and grooms and couples, men, women, are not the only people that get married. 
nothing has really changed. There was this initial burst of enthusiasm and hope as people were like, yes, she's right. Yeah, the wedding industry is still very white. And you had the odd campaign here of using couples of color, people of color uh, in, in, in blog shoots and magazine stories. But it's not really done anything. It's not, it's just, everything's just gone back to normal. Status quo is maintained. And it's taking events like what's going on in the USA at the moment for us to actually sit back and take stock and go, yeah, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Nothing has changed. Everything that happened in our childhood is still going on. It might not be happening with the same frequency, but it's still happening. And so today I'm just, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed with myself at the way that I myself have, have allowed myself to treat racist events that have happened to me and the way that I've just kind of dismissed them. And, and I now know it's time that, you know, we're talking to our, to our allies and to our white counterparts and asking them to do the work and to educate themselves and to get on board with what's going on. But I feel like I need to get in touch and I've got inner work to do and I need to get clear again on, on who I am as a woman, as a black woman, as a celebrant. So yeah, lots of very mixed emotions for me at the minute. And I'm sure hope maybe you're, you're feeling the same as well. I think so. And, and Maxine, Black Lives Matter. Hi there. Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak. I'm actually a funeral celebrant. Does that matter? No. Okay. Okay. Black Lives Matter. Um, what does that mean to me? I don't think they do. I don't think Black Lives Matter at all. Um, I've been a celebrant now for three years, officially and unofficially, and I was trained at CLC over in Northampton, and I was the only, we call it the only gay in the village, I was the only black person in the class of 12, and a wonderful class of 12, um, some of which are, are in Natasha's group, and, and I've constantly had to explain to them and, and, and even by demonstration, that my world is different. My reality is different from theirs. We trained in the class and the majority, I felt, saw no colour. And we all got on pretty well and we all did pretty well. And we've come out ready to face the world as celebrants. Um, I was told, don't just work in your own community. You'll do so well. It did not occur to me. I'm 54. It did not occur to me that I would face racism in the funeral industry. And in the last three years, my eyes have been opened. And also, to some degree, to that, we're in a forum together, our own personal forum of 10. And when I read, well, we're doing 12, 13 funerals a week. And I'm battling to get one or two. And I'm trying to explain to them, we're not pushing hard enough, Maxine. You're not pushing. I'll say, I've registered with over 200 funeral directors last week. 
I've knocked on the door of funeral directors and they've come to the door where they don't want me to come in. I've introduced myself, I've given them my paperwork, I've told them I'm a civil celebrant. That means I do non-religious stuff. And they say things to me like, oh, well, we, we, we only do the church, we, we only do cremations here, we, um, which I really don't know what that means. Because unless you think I'm going to get my tambourine out and turn into Rusty Lee, I'm a civil celebrant. Mm. And that's what I do. Um, and, and, it, and I've been told so many things by funeral arrangers because they're nice. We have nice conversations. We get along. Nice people. Oh, try not to say that you're black because that's my USP. When I approach you and you tell me that you've got, you know, loads and loads of celebrants, I use my USP. Well, I'm trained, I'm a female, and I'm black. Oh, we don't worry about that. Well, why should you worry? I haven't got two heads. Or, oh, maybe you should try our South London branch. Oh, around here, the older ladies won't want it. So the work that I do get is from the black celebrants, which are the black funeral arrangers who have just come onto the, uh, I should say more and more now coming into the funeral industry and working, they'll give me work because they've tried and tested the system, they've worked in the system, they know that I can do the job and they're, and they're always, you know, always very good feedback. Or I'll get work from the white funeral arrangers that have black families that don't go to church or want a cremation or ask for a black person, but that is it. Or the free work, where you don't charge for children, that kind of thing. But no, I, other than that, I, 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 I wouldn't be working. Um, so I've seen racism from a different aspect. I mean, my family have always been involved with funerals and, and companies. We have one particular company local, quite a well-known company and they've done several funerals for us and there's a ripple effect we've given them hundreds and I mean literally hundreds of funerals mm -hmm. over the last 20 years and when I became a celebrant not one job not one job was offered to me and they want to keep their firms white they, they want to and, and when you present them this to them they don't get it oh we're not racist we just need to find someone you know that, that you're a match for well, unless I, you know, you want me to sing opera or do a handstand or even a forward roll, you know, any celebrant should be able to conduct any ceremony. That, that, that's my thing. Unless there's something niche, unless there's a language issue, you know. Um, and so, so that's one of the problems. For me, black lives really don't matter. And, and I say that because when I, and I put something up on my post which really calls great offence. When I see a dog being manhandled and the owner threatening, with an assurance and a confidence, threatening a black man with the police and strangling the dog, and then the following day I see a man being murdered, irrespective of colour, in broad daylight, and you can send me a WhatsApp feeling sorry for the dog, but you haven't seen the man. These are my white friends, the man that's been murdered, murdered in the streets. That's telling me that the dog's neck is more important than Floyd's neck. Black lives don't matter. It's scary that we're in 2020 and we're having to have this conversation, really, isn't it? 
And when the people jump on the bandwagon that every life matters, we know that every life is important. But how do you feel when they counter us saying Black Lives Matters and why we are saying that when a black person is mistreated or murdered at the hands of white people and people start talking about white privilege and everybody says, well, we love everybody, everybody's just as important. How do you feel when they, they try to minimise what the message is that we're trying to put out? Jazz, do you want to answer that one first? Um, I don't think you can minimise the message. Um, I agree with Maxine to a degree that black lives don't matter. Um, that we're facing prejudice every single day in everything we do. And what Maxine said about being a funeral celebrant, I'm also a funeral celebrant as well as a wedding celebrant. I've been told blatantly by a funeral director that he has put my leaflet in front of several clients who have said, white clients, who've said, we don't want her because she's Asian or she's black or whatever. Um, can you get us somebody white? because grandma won't like it or auntie may won't like it or whatever you know mm. so they know i'm competent enough but they don't employ me because of my color and being a celebrant has brought this all back to the fore for me because like natasha i had forgotten a lot of these things and unfortunately the wedding industry and the funeral industry is very prejudiced and i didn't realize that was very naive i thought oh i'm, I'm going to be great i'm going to bring so much to the table i can speak several languages i can add to this um industry um and the work isn't coming through mm. for me and it's not because i'm not good enough it's because of who i am mm. and i'm convinced that's the case um so you know in terms of all lives matter they do matter i agree with that but that shouldn't be a counter argument that's not a get out clause and it's been used as a get out clause well all lives matter don't they not just black lives well that gets you off the hook very nicely thank you mm. um it's white privilege yet again mm. um and you know i've said it once i'll say it again it's not always our issue mm. and why is it you know we're beating the drum yet again um, I, f I feel quite angry about all of this. You know, it's, it's really brought up some stuff for me from my childhood, being brought up in an inner city, um, watching my parents say, just get your head down and, you know, don't make too much noise because we're in their country, all that kind of stuff, you know, where we were just seen to have to comply and put up with it. I didn't even know it was racism. I just thought because people didn't like me. But I realised later, as I grew older, and I had children of my own, that to affect change, I need to be part of the system. So I became a school governor. I worked really hard to introduce multicultural resources into the school. It's not my job to do that. I see that now, but at the time, my children were being affected by um, not being recognized as Sikh boys, Sikh girl, whatever, you know, Asian children need with different needs. A, a son of mine who's got long hair needs an extra 10 minutes at swimming. You know, because his hair needs to dry. He can't just walk out with wet hair. Now, it's okay if it's a girl, but for a boy, they don't accept that a boy's long hair is the same. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's just one thing after that. His turban needs a locker. It can't be just left to be kicked around on the floor. It's a symbol of honour. Mm. So there's things like that that the school just didn't know. And, you know, those things really do matter. Why should the parents of those children 
have to be the ones that raise those issues. That should be, you know, integrated within the school curriculum, within school teaching, everything really. It should be part, it is now, it's much better, I must say. It's a lot better for my grandsons. But at that time, it was about either you take charge and do something about it as a black woman, as a black mother, or this is going to just carry on and your kids are going to keep coming home with the same problems every day. Hmm. But you see, I, I think this is, this is the problem that we face in that we're not only trying to make progress with what we're doing. Before we can even begin to make progress, we've got to dismantle this whole belief system that people have this this white privilege this belief system in getting people to even understand why there is a problem in the first place Mm. celebrants who will listen to this podcast probably won't even realize that any black or person of color who is a celebrant they are going to have their skin color as an additional barrier to why people perhaps won't go ahead and book them as their funeral celebrant or as their wedding celebrant. If you're not a person of colour, you will never have this experience or this not knowing as to whether if somebody didn't book you, was it because they didn't like your jokes? Was it because they just didn't catch your vibe? Or was it because of the colour of your skin? Mm. I, and I said this to you yesterday, didn't I, Sharon, on, on, um, on Instagram. We, there will be times, even that we aren't even aware of, There will be times that we won't get jobs because of the colour of our skin that we won't be aware of. And going forward, there will be times that we won't get a job and the deciding factor maybe is because of the colour of our skin, but we just, we won't know it. There will be times we probably will have an inkling and and I know in the past there have been times because, but I only know because people have told me like wedding planners, I had a, a wedding planner tell me once, she was singing my praises to a couple, telling them how amazing I was. And, oh, you love her. You love her. This was on a phone call. They were like, oh, my gosh, she sounds amazing. She sounds just like what we want. Then they, she sent my link to my website where I'm plastered all over my website. You cannot avoid the fact that I'm black when you look at my website. And suddenly it goes quiet. Hmm. Is there anyone else? What else would that reason be? What, what, you know, even though we have no concrete proof, what else would that reason be? If people are on, bo- on board with what you sound like, but the moment they see you, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have two white female associates who work for me. And recently, uh, a wedding planner who I work with, she sent my details to, their, to, the, to a couple and they came back and said, oh, that all looks great. Can we check if... The, the two of my two associates, if any of either of those are available. Why would they not want to know my availability? Mm. We all on paper look the same. What, what would be the dif- distinguishing factor that makes them want to check out my two white counterparts, but not me? It's, you know, but we have to dismantle this. And when we attempt to dismantle this, we get brushed off. Oh, no, you're imagining it. Oh, no, you know, it could be another reason, you know. Oh, it is, who says it's the colour of your skin? And, and this is why we have this, this struggle. We have this struggle because there's a belief system that needs to be crushed before we can further and, and, and make advancements with this. And we've, we've got a lot of work to do. And I'm annoyed 
that I seem to have forgotten that we've still got a lot of work to do because things have been well for me for, for a long, going well for me for a long time. You forget, don't you? You forget the struggles and you listening to Maxine and just, I had tears in my eyes, just like, yeah, uh, you know, this is happening every single day. And just because I haven't had a personal experience of it for a little while, it doesn't mean that my black colleagues aren't experiencing this on a regular basis. Mm. it's it's frustrating and really really annoying so how, how do we move forward then what we've got to educate ourselves we we live it or have lived it so we are slightly high up on the uh, education ladder than quite a few other people no doubt but how do we educate ourselves and then how do we educate our colleagues and then how do we educate the public at large we're talking about the industry that we work in predominantly be it weddings and or funerals what work have we got to do i'm going to go to sharon for that one because i know you work in both well i i, I hear you maxine when you were talking about the funerals and not getting work i, I so hear you i so get that because i obviously i do weddings and funerals and um i had um an incident where I was booked for a funeral and when I went to visit the lady we, we had a really lovely time talking and she was she was just a lovely lady and right at the end she said to me you know she said I was really upset when I spoke with the funeral arranger she said because when they 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 rang they rang you up and you said yeah you're available that date and she said and when they put the phone down they said so Sharon will be coming out to visit you you do know she's coloured, and is that okay? And this woman, she said, I was so upset. She said, I, did, I, I, she said, I, didn't, I didn't care where you came from, what you looked like. I just wanted a nice person to do the funeral for my husband. And she was so upset. And um, I, I, I didn't address it at the time. I, did, I, I spoke with my husband about it and my children. And... and I did share it on our, one of our personal forums and, you know, I was, I was, I had a mess, I received a message afterwards from someone who'd seen it on the forum and they actually said to me, um, are you okay now? But I said, hang on a minute, I was always okay. I'm not, I'm not the one here with the issue, you know, and I've, I don't get a lot of funeral work anyway. And I, and I just, so I'll tell you, Maxine, I could, you could have been talking for me when you spoke. You, you really could have. But, you know, the way I see it, it's education. Education, education, education. People need to be educated. Ask questions. Ask what you don't understand. Don't assume, you know. And you, you, so often you hear that, you know, we've got a chip on our shoulders, you know. No, that's not the case. It needs to be education and there isn't any. And when people say all life matters, it's like, it's, it's a cop off really, because it's just saying, yeah, all life matters. But, you know, no, we're addressing black lives. This is the issue. If, if, if the white lives were the issue, then we'd address the issue. The issue is with the black lives. So when someone just says all life matters, you're just copying off. And that, 
it's such I get so frustrated when I hear that or I see that written down all life matters because we know that we know that, that that's what it should be but it isn't and that's where the problem lies do you remember when um, Barack Obama was running for presidency and Michelle was on the campaign trail with him and uh, I mean, I've read, uh, I mean, I'm assuming quite a few of you might have read her autobiography because it's just so well written. She's just brilliant. <laughs> but she said that one of her issues and she had to tone herself down as a result was because she came across as an angry black woman. And it wasn't because she was an angry black woman. She was a passionate woman campaigning for her husband. But all people saw was this angry black woman. I can see somebody, everybody's nodding. <laughs> you know, and do you think that when we try and address it with certain people, that's what's coming across, that we're angry all the time and we're not angry, we're just passionate about trying to educate and explain what's going on in our lives? But I think a lot of the time because they don't because a lot of people don't understand and it's a very it's a very sensitive issue they don't want to go there so the next best thing is to say that you know you're coming across as angry what's your problem you've got the chip it's it's that cop out again rather than they ask the question ask questions you know ask why do you feel that way what's made you see that how did that come about well they don't ask the question they're just quick to say you know like you said with, with michelle obama you know you, you you're being you know yeah <laughs> yeah lost the words there <laughs> yeah yeah mm. jamie yeah. as a as a new celebrant obviously coming into this arena you've got your life experiences i mean you were a teacher before you you, you started your celebrancy has teaching taught you anything? Was there any barriers within the teaching profession? No, I, I didn't come across any barriers. Like Natasha said, there may well have been some, but I, I, I wasn't aware of any per se. Um, I think when I was teaching, one of the things that was really important to me was how, as a teacher, we support children who are bullied I was bullied at school for being black from about the age of eight throughout the whole rest of my primary school years, secondary school years. But I never felt like a victim. I almost looked over my shoulder and thought, who are they talking about? And I always had this kind of core of confidence that, well, it, it, it can't be me because, you know, I'm on the netball team and I do this and I love cross country and I'm a really good student and I'm a good daughter and I'm a good sister. And, you know, all of these things were not true. And so when I went into teaching, I was really passionate about making sure that the policies we had in place to support children who were being bullied um, accurately reflected their feelings. And, you know, so I took out the word victim a bullying victim and I kind of try to give the children a, a feeling of of power and ownership about how they really were feeling not you know just absorbing what other children were telling them so no when I was teaching I, I felt like I had a platform to say actually it might not be what you think people are feeling so as Jazz was saying and um, getting in there on the inside 
yeah, on the one hand, I thought I shouldn't have to say this, but then actually I was, I was the best person to say it because I, I had experienced it firsthand and it wasn't always exactly what people expect. So uh, when I was teaching, it was, it was a wonderful experience, but when I went um, into celebrancy, I had a big shock again. I was like, whoa, hang on a minute. Where are you all? Where, where are you? There must be black celebrants. There must be black people getting married. Hang on a minute. All the magazines have got white brides and where are all the black men? Did I dream this? You know, it was unreal. The messaging that I was receiving was, this isn't for you. Uh, no, there's no black wedding planners. There's no black celebrants. And then I found Michelle and I said, there, there's the one. <laughs> and then, you know, you find out actually we're all there, but you know, there's so much pain and hurt when these topics are discussed. But to put yourself out there in the first place, it's just immense. It's immense because you realize that actually you're just one, you know, or a few of us, as I've found amongst this sea of faces and you just think, Will I be accepted? How will I come across? Am I going to be given a chance? Will I have a seat at the table? How am I going to um, present myself to couples? Uh, it's just a minefield. It really is. But you know what? I've just tried to stick to absolutely who I am, plastering my face out there as much as possible, focusing on my friends who do want to learn and educate themselves and are saying, Jamie, I, I don't know what to say. What, what do I say? Where do I begin? And I accept that completely with, you know, compassion and love and just say, just start, just start where you are. Your lens is going to be different to mine. So don't try and look at it through my lens, look at it through your lens and just start where you are. And I think, for me, that moment of who me, what are you talking about me has just stuck with me my whole life. Um, however, <laughs> I do remember being pregnant for the first time and having a moment with my first husband and having a conversation with him that went something like this. So, you know I'm black, right? <laughs> you know our children could be really dark skin, don't you? <laughs> and it sounds crazy, but that was my concern. That was my worry. Not, am I going to have a healthy baby? Am I going to enjoy this pregnancy? It was, what is my baby going to look like? And how are they going to be treated based on that? And that is now what drives me to educate my friends. I, I told, I've told my son, I mean, like I say, he's blue-eyed, blonde-haired. He goes darker than me when he gets a suntan, which really peed me off. But he's obviously inherited my facial features, but he's inherited his dad's colouring. And I've said to him, you know what, when you have children, they could end up being black. Why is that, Mum? I says, because you are black, you might look white, 
but you are black and if you were living in america in the 60s or maybe even america in the 2020s anybody could see that you were brought up by a white a black person you are going to be black till the day you die regardless of whether you've got blue eyes and blonde hair or not africa south africa you know and 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 american things like that so yeah my big concern as well i was most disappointed when he came out with blonde hair and blue eyes because i was convinced he was going to look like me (laughs) better looking obviously than his dad but hey <laughs> i'm getting there but yeah i was convinced he was gonna have my coloring my eyes and everything he's got i say he's got my features but he's got his dad's coloring so i was disappointed it wasn't it wasn't like i was worried about what color was going to come out i was disappointed when he came out the wrong color <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. i think for me it was a it was a genuine worry i mean being at school in a my gosh, you couldn't have been brought up in a more quintessentially English village. It was cricket on a Sunday and cream teas and and riverside picnics and, you know, the only black child in the village. Um, And I was worried. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to protect my children at school. You know, what's it going to be like for them? Have things really changed? No, they haven't. Um, So for me, educating my children to look after each other and look after their friends and stand up for what is right is absolutely my driving force and and putting myself out there even you know with this voice in my head saying you might not get the job they might not pick you i don't i don't care i don't care i want them to go for their dreams Mm. and i want them to support their friends and i want them to see me living it and explaining to them why it's so so important even though the pain when it hits me is the most debilitating three days of my life wiped out eyes puffy from crying throat sore pain it's it's dreadful it's just it's just dreadful when i mean a lot of you know some of you don't that i was a police officer for 30 years um, in Birmingham, um, started off in Birmingham, went to Derbyshire and was the only black person in the station in Derbyshire um, and then ended up in, in Suffolk again as the only black person in, in the station uh, in, in Felixstowe when I first went to Felixstowe. Obviously West Mids was a bit different because it's a much more multicultural city and I remember being treated differently not because I was a woman but because I was black by some of my colleagues in the early days, mainly my, we, we are going back to the 80s here, uh, by my colleagues, but also by the, by the public. And I could see it didn't matter that I was a woman trying to do, at that time, very much a man's job. I was a black woman trying to do a white man's job. <laughs> and that hurt. And to the extent that I got subtle racial abuse and overt racial abuse. And I'm the one in the uniform and I was still getting it. Luckily, because I had a uniform, I could arrest people if they were racially abusive to me. So I had a bit more power than the average black woman in the street. But I didn't take any any less crap wearing the uniform than anybody else not wearing that uniform. And it's it's something that, like Natasha, I've laughed off, I've dismissed. But now when I look back at it, it's kind of like, why it's a difficult one isn't it so how do we get this message across we're going to start educating people 
where are we going to direct people to get educated? Um, Natasha, you mentioned following obviously Nova Reed. We can follow her on um, Instagram, Facebook, and all those other places, can't we? Yeah, sure. I mean, part of me as well, it might, this might sound controversial, part of me feels that me personally, I am not here to educate people, right? Because this is also another kind of thing in the whole black stereotype that, um, you know, the, because we're black, because we're people of colour, but also we're experts in helping people to understand their own thinkings, their own thoughts, their own racism, their own beliefs. And I, I don't have that expertise. Uh, you know, Jamie, I think it's great that, and I'm, I'm the same, when my, when my friends ask me, of course, I try and give them what I know and the advice that I know. But like even in writing my post yesterday, I've already had people emailing me, people messaging me, what can I do? What can I... I'm not an educator. I don't know. I don't want to be an educator. That's why I, in my post, I, I said about people like Nova. And actually, I'm in the middle of writing a post up of resources where people can go and get themselves educated. Because it's not black people's responsibility to educate others on racism. It's, it, it, there are educators out there who have taken that responsibility to do it. But it's just, it's not the average person. You know, it, it's just... It's, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I understand the, um, the, the idea behind it. I understand, of course, why people are asking, because people don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to get it wrong. They want to get their approach right. But it is also down to each individual to have some personal responsibility to take uh, their matter into their own hands and to do their own research and to find the resources that are out there that are available to them. Of course, asking a black friend is not a problem. And if you have a black friend or a friend of color who is happy to help and happy to point you in the right direction, that's great. But also at the same time, we shouldn't just assume that any person of color is there and freely, readily available to just offer all the advice in the world because they're not. But from a wedding industry and funeral industry point of view, because it's been brilliant for me today, to hear from Maxine and to hear from Sharon because again I've had this blindness because I don't work in the funeral in industry they have opened my eyes to actually something that I probably could have guessed without them even needing to tell me um, and like I said in my post yesterday there are people out there still in 2020 who are not ready for a person of color to lead their life events to lead and commemorate their life events. It's sickening, it's awful, it's a tragedy that people still feel like that, but it's a fact, it is a fact. So we actually need to be looking at what's going on in the funeral industry and the people who are arranging these ceremonies, what are they doing? It sounds like there's a lot of education lacking within the funeral industry itself um, and it, it's it's something that needs to be addressed how i don't know if we're ever going to get the answers right now on this podcast but yeah maybe maxine can come in and give some thoughts on on, on where the funeral industry for sure needs to sounds like it needs a big shake up hmm. can i can i button yes yeah, yeah. um so many things so i'm listening to all the ladies there and it's just wonderful to know that you're not alone it really is wonderful because it's it's just so sad it's just so heartbreaking and if you don't know who you are i i know of 
white people who have been fortunate enough to have given up jobs to go into celebrancy and made money. I don't have that option. I was working nights at Waitrose, three nights a week, quarter to 10 till six in the morning. I thought I'll give this a year, celebrancy will take off. And it hasn't happened. So I've actually opened up my own funeral directors. So I'm actually a funeral director, yeah? I had to, because if it's not gonna happen for you, you've got to create it, that's number one. But I believe we have a responsibility to ourselves, Natasha, and the rest of you to educate people. I don't think it takes expertise. I think what it takes is, I was gonna say passion, but passion's obviously seen the wrong way when it comes from us. It takes, we're celebrants, we're creative people. We can speak, we can command, it's very simple. When I was growing up, a racist was someone, I'm all right, let's take for argument's sake, I don't know if any of you remember, I don't know your ages, love thy neighbour. Oh God, yeah. Yes, you Mm. use the N word, you use the C word. That was a racist, yeah? That was a racist, Mm. and we know them, we see them coming, yeah? But today, racism is different. So you can, you know, racism, I call it, you can suffer racism and not be a racist. Unwittingly, you see someone or you see something, you see a larger person, fatism or sizeism. You see an older person, ageism. You see me coming and you put me in a box. It's an ism. So therefore, and and this is one of the things that I was saying today before I came on the podcast, please, God, don't have me repeating myself again and again. Because quite often I say to the ladies, I say to the funeral Mm -hmm. arrangers, I've worked with Chinese funerals. Mm -hmm. I've gone into a home, there's been a dead body, the coffin's opened in one box, and there's been a dead chicken in the corner. And there's been more chances of the chicken getting up and walking away than the, 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 the body. I said, I could work in all communities. I've never ever had, I've had one bad funeral. I work, the black funeral, the black funeral arrangers will send you to any type of family, predominantly white. And I mean, the the testimonials, the reviews are amazing. So you know you can do them. I was just going to give you an example of um, funeral directors. Sorry, Maxine, I jumped in when you finished. That's okay. (laughs) I'm going to put myself on mute. So then when you finish. Okay. So, I was just going to say that there's, some very, there's a very big um, company in Nottingham, um, Big Funeral Directors, and they were sending me, they've sent me to a couple of Asian funerals, yeah? And I asked them the question about whether they regularly refer to Asian clients or not, because I was seeing that I wasn't being given any of the funerals, only these. And they were saying, no, we never offer a celebrant to... Asian clients because they always have a priest and they don't want to celebrate and I said have you asked the question do you actually ask the question and they said no we don't ask them if they want to celebrate so they make this massive assumption and this goes across the board I'm talking about weddings as well that celebrants are not needed because they've got a priest but if they have a priest they don't have a eulogy quite often the family that have to get up and speak and make speeches on a day when they don't need to be doing that because there are professionals like me who can speak their language, um, address 
the whole of the congregation in their language or in English if need be, whatever whatever's required on the day. You know, we've got the skills out there, but the the arrangers are not offering it because they've made this huge assumption. So I contacted one of their directors, and although again I'm in that place where I'm at school and being a governor and all the rest of it, and said, Do you want me to do some multicultural awareness training with you? Because you are not offering what you should be offering to Asian clients. And again, you know, there's me, little old me, getting exhausted, taking it upon myself to do the work that they should be doing. And they showed me a poster that they'd produced, which was supposed to be a multicultural poster. It was full of black people, and that was it. It was not representative at all. They just produced a poster with black people on it. And that was supposed to be, well, we've done one, look. So it's, it's this eternal circle, I feel, that we're on. You know, it's like a merry-go-round that we're on. I want to get off it. I'm tired of it. But I also feel that if I don't do it, then, like you said, Maxine, the work doesn't come through. I've contacted Asian, Asian funeral directors. Work's coming through. They want me to do some work for them. But I think the white ones are just, A, they're lazy, I think. They just can't be bothered. I think there's part of that is laziness. And the other part of it is oh. lack of awareness. Sorry. Yeah. I was, can I, can I come in? Yeah. Can yeah. I? yeah. You know, I'll, I'll come back to what you're saying, Chaz. I, I, I explained to them, I say, I can work within any community and I can. I work with, I hold workshops. Can we talk about death? And I, and I, and I talk about that aspect of what we go through, what I've been through you know, when I hold these workshops. But I'll explain to them, I can work in any community. You know, I can do whatever you need me to do. The only thing I don't do is humanist work, yeah? Um, I won't compromise. But I can work in any community. It's absolutely fine. Uh, and, and let's just go back to that funeral um, celebrants on here. Three quarters of the, the, the funeral arrangers don't know the difference between a celebrant and a humanist celebrant. Even there, yeah? That's not, and, even, that's not just funerals, Joe. <laughs> well, okay, so, what, yeah. so in terms of celebrants, the celebrant, yeah. and the reason why we have celebrants is, number one, because people are fed up with the church, mm. yeah? They're fed up of going into churches and hearing this person and God, 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 emphasis on the deity. Mm. So we celebrate the life of a person that's dead, basically. We celebrate their life. If you want some kind of religious content, you can have that. You can have 100% religious content, but you have a choice. A celebrant gives you choice, and the ceremony is bespoke. It's tailor-made, just like a, a, like a wedding. You have what you want. As Jazz just said, when you go into the church and you have your own priest or your own minister, you do what they want. People don't want that. People want a hand in. They want an opinion. They want variety, and that's what a celebrant can offer you. But there are celebrants and celebrants. So you have your religious celebrants, you have your non-religious celebrants, you have a non-religious celebrant that will have religious content. But humanists will have no religious content. Humanists won't even speak about angels. It ends when you die. Whereas with a, a celebrant who's a non-religious celebrant, they'll speak of angels, they'll speak of heaven, they'll speak of some type of afterlife. Not necessarily in a, from a religious aspect, but something the heaven or beyond the blue i don't know a humus will not but quite often even the funeral arrangers 
do not understand the difference. The funeral, the funeral arrangers, they are a type of person. They are a type. I mean, I, I, I'm 54, so I've worked in the city. I've lived in London all my life, but I've worked in the city, the West End. I've worked on the wall. Um, I, I used to be a legal secretary many, many years ago. And there were all these ladies that had been there like 30, 40 years and, and their systems are antiquated. And lunchtime, they'd go across the road and they'd get their husband's lunches and they'd come back and they'd talk about what they're doing for dinner and their holidays. That's what the funeral arrangers are like. They are a type. The whole industry needs shaking up. When I spoke to the National Associate, because what, 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 what one of my biggest barriers also I worked for, much of the work that I did was for one of the big boys. One of the big double syllable mm -hmm. name firms. Um, and the, 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 the bearers and the funeral directors on the day, it was almost as though, who does she think she is? Who does she think she is? It was almost the uppity word that they, they've assigned to, to Meghan Markle, you know, and, and, it's, and it's born out of fear. What, what are these people going to come and take over? You know, are they going to, to, to do something different in the funeral world? And, and I've been lied on by funeral directors. I've been, I've been told I'm aggressive. Um, I've, I've had to report particular people to head office when I've called head office, the same firm, and, 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 and ask for the um, Equalities Department. They don't have one, National Association of Funeral Directors. I, I mean, I, I'm having to say to the funeral arrangers, who's the funeral director today? Because their attitude towards me. I mean, I've, I, I've mucked up at a funeral. That was the one complaint that I had. I've mucked up at a funeral when I went into a hostile environment, when I stood outside the door of the creme office and I heard the funeral director of the day say to the creme staff oh it's that Maxine take no notice of her take no notice of her and they were laughing I walked in they stopped laughing one of them said oh really nice to see you today Maxine and they burst out laughing and what happened was when it was the time for the eulogy I'd reprinted it and I, was, I knew the funeral director was in the office, so I was conscious that they were watching me on the camera. And I made an error. I could not find the eulogy in my folder. It was right there in front of me. Could not find the eulogy of the, of the hundreds of funerals that I've done that particular day. Hmm. Someone, I actually had it, it was in the folder, but I had it on my phone. And I was able to apologise and read it off my phone. And it was a splendid ceremony. It was lovely. I mucked up. Um, but that particular funeral director encouraged the client to complain about me and tell the company never to use me again. And they'd had a first class report of me up until then. Mm. That's just an example, but going back to the funeral arranger, so I explained to them, I try to educate them, you know, I say, listen, doesn't matter the colour. I can work with anybody. I can speak to anybody. It is not a problem. And at the end of the conversation, after 15 minutes of talking, I can guarantee you nine out of 10 of them will say, right, well, if we get a funeral in from a, um, a, like a West Indian family, we'll call you. And I put down the phone and I say to myself, did you not, did, 
Didn't she just say what I just said? What is wrong with these people? So I think there's a couple of issues here. I don't think much is going to change, I'm going to be honest. I don't think much is going to change until black people start investing in their own. Up until the last three years, I weren't interested in that. I grew up in a, I've got a brother that's 20 years older than me. When I, when I opened up my eyes, probably the second day after I'd been born, there was a white woman with blonde hair who was to be my sister-in-law, 17 years older than me. She was like my older sister. I grew up in a white community. I can work with all people. We weren't raised as a, as a black family to be aware of blacks and whites. If anything, we took more stick because my brother's wife was white. Mm. We took more stick from the black community, all right? So nobody can tell me about racism. You know, I've got my mixed race nieces there that are in their 40s and that, and I can give you stories where their mother's concerned, where after she gave up everything, and she did, she gave up everything for my brother. She proved to be the biggest racist ever. But that's another story. What I'm saying is there is something inherent within white people that I believe leads us, leads them to put us at default. I don't think it's intentional. I think it's unwittingly, but I think we are seen as secondary. And that's why I don't know if you've had time to look at this thing with Amy Cooper and the bird watcher Cooper in the park. When you read the comments, the comments of the white people are all geared towards the dog. Mm. Cooper, the bird watcher, was secondary. Yes, they had to go at the woman and they weren't impressed with her actions because of what she did to the dog and not because of the threat that she made to the black man. I deem that we are secondary. Yes, I believe that all lives matter, but I believe black lives are secondary until we get our act together, we start investing in our own. I don't see any change. And people don't want to be educated. I mean, just as Jazz was saying, when you talk to them and you speak to them and they hold up their posters, we've done our bit. What more do they want us to do? We're fed up of all of this. They've got a chip on your shoulder. No, I've got a bloody frying pan, mate. The reality is racism is here. Um, it's accepted. It's misunderstood. Rather than getting angry about it, whilst I don't believe we should accept it, I don't believe we need to work with it, I believe we have to make our own changes. I don't believe, however, and, and I actually think I'm a good celebrant. I'm used to speaking, I'm used to public speaking, I'm used to creative writing. I must be good based on what they say, not what I think. Based on the gifts that they've left, the accolades, that's all I can go by, not my own thinking, because you're never good enough. If I haven't achieved, <laughs> in the last three years, if I haven't achieved three or four funerals in one week, and I was in a class with a guy, white male, which for funeral celebrants is what they want, the white male, number one, who was deaf and with a speech impediment, and he's breaking out five funerals a day. Something tells me, as Judge just said, Maxine, Create your own. Create your own. Because you're pushing against the goads here and you're getting nowhere fast. So I don't phone around anymore. I, d I don't, I don't um, send out stuff anymore. I've just created my own. Um, and that's what I'm focusing on. So I haven't given up on celebrancy, but I just believe that this generation, and I do believe it's a generational thing, but I think we're getting further away. Too hard to tackle. 
it's it's I just feel like we're secondary. Even speaking to Natasha, I was introduced to her page by Michelle Harvey. And even, and, and, and though you say you may have been blind or blasé or naive to it, even some of the responses, I think you, you put up a notice. I think we were, somebody new was posting, was posting poems that she'd written and she posted about six or seven on the page. Um, and I think you wrote something like, we're, we're not really supposed to be doing this, or this isn't the topic of the day. And, and just the, the essence, just the way that many of the celebrants responded to Natasha on the page, almost as to say, hmm, Natasha, who do you think you are? That's what I read, maybe you didn't. Some of the responses to what, can't, can't, can't we write what we want to write? I mean, who do you think you are? That kind of thing. So even you fell asleep. Yeah, your fellow celebrants, they're naive to it. And, and because they've not lived in your world, because they've not lived your reality, because they've been privileged. You no know, privilege is something that you're not aware of. Because, mm. I mean, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm a middle child. Mm. <laughs> I'm a middle child. So when I say to my big brother and my younger sister, but look what happened to me, or I never got this, or I never got that, they're completely naive to it. That's what privilege does, you don't see. So it's, it's very I difficult. I see what you're saying, Maxine, and I I do agree with you. There is there are probably a generation of people who will be lost to us, and who probably have no hope for changing their mindset and changing how they think. But that's not why I'm not here for those people. You know, there are people out there who will listen to this podcast and who will be absolutely devastated hearing what what is going on here hearing what we're saying people who don't want to be caught up in this people who want there to be you know who what who are ready to accept that changes need to be made and changes need to be made with with them that i know there are people out there of course there are um but yeah doing stuff like this and and sharing our stories and sharing our experiences more and more and more is going to get people to ha to take a good look in the mirror and look at themselves and say i do not want to be this person that these women are talking about i do not want to be that person who is making somebody who is a different color to me feel like absolute crap through something that i inadvertently say without meaning because I, i'm not educated I think people want to change and those that, that, that do want to change will try and make that change. But yeah, some of those funeral directors you, you talk about, they, they're probably, they're, there's no change due for them. Their mindset is too set in its ways and we, we can't focus on those people. We can just focus on people that really do want to make a difference. Um, I, just, yeah. I just want to add about white privilege and when we talk about white privilege, we're not saying that they are better than us, they've got more money than us, bigger houses than us or anything like that. It's that they don't have that extra fight that we have as black people, as black women, that they don't have to look over their shoulder all the time. They don't have to explain themselves or think that they've lost work because of the color of their skin. They're not gonna get the abuse, the suspicion and all the, other negative associations with the colour of our skin. That's what we mean when we say white privilege. It's not that they're better than us. They just haven't got quite the same fight that we've got. And I don't care whether they're Irish and white, Scottish and white, American and white. Just the colour of the skin means 
they have one less fight to fight than us. And I want to get that across to anybody that's listening to the podcast. I'm not saying you're better than me. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm saying our issues are completely different to your issues. And that is purely down to the colour of our skin. Thank you for listening. I was going to end the podcast with an uplifting poem by Maya Angelou. Um, But I decided against it because I wanted our words to be the final thing for you to take away from this edition i am hoping to record a a second podcast with some other celebrants from around the globe so watch your space this is a story that we cannot let go this is a challenge that we're all facing and we need to keep talking about it there will be some resources in the notes that accompany this podcast Please make sure you buy the books, you watch the films and that you educate yourselves because it is something that we all need to do and keep doing. Stay safe and until the next time, take care.